our task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself you have built against it. Hmm. Pretty good. Really good. I keep going back to the story from the forward about how we are always looking in the light places. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, wait. I have to remember that. I thought it was... It was, to me, it's it like the first time I read it, it felt super counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Like, you look only where you can see. Yeah, because I was thinking light. Light is good. Light is everything. Light is what you're supposed to be going towards. But in but Naranjo, the way he's talking about it is it's the easy. It's where it's easy to see. And so we think we're helping ourselves. We think we're improving ourselves, but we're really just only kind of still in the shallow end or in the light Yeah, I was places. trying to explain to a friend this weekend, we were talking about Enneagram and what, like where we were spiritually and what we were working on, and I, it's still hard for me to understand or I'm trying to unpack the whole nine part of being, like my own spiritual search, being out of that space of wanting peace and trying to, parse out um, my inner kind of drive that I've had since I was so young to find, um, I I mean, I feel like I've been on a quest, Mm -hmm. but then, and I can't remember who, I I think Naranjo, when we get to him, like said, or to my number, talking about how that's part of my sloth or part of my numbing is to which is very strange for me to go back and think Mm -hmm. and then to understand well how do I how do I move forward in my own spiritual like how do you even be how am I even aware of that piece of me or how do I start uncovering it in my own kind of internal quest yeah I I don't want to be neurotic about it by any stretch Mm -hmm. and I don't think anything I've I don't think you need to worry about that but it's um, neurotic. It's I think interesting to pull that layer back. I think twos and nines have such pretty mm-hmm. armor. Yeah. That it's really maybe it's extra amazing. hard. I mean, I think it's maybe easy to really think it's so good yeah. and virtuous. Not not that I'm saying you're not, no. but I just think it's harder. Like, I, you know, y'all's, quote, sins are just pretty and soft and easy to deal with. And so I just think that innately makes it harder to see it. I mean, mine are easy to see. And they're not necessarily easy to deal with or to turn around. But are, no, sure. but they, but my, I think mine are spottable. <laughs> Yes, yours and like, are out there. Yeah. I don't have to. Hello. I'm not, I don't really have to Here. uncover too much. Anyways, I, it's, I it's like, interesting to think about, though. I'm, I'm trying to think about, because I don't, I don't know, like, how you are on a spiritual quest when you are, when you really, deep, deep down, I, I really just want to be on that quest to give myself peace. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, how to uncover that is, uh, Tricky. Yes. Tricky. Okay. Um, okay, so here we are. 
um, Austin Enneagram, and we are continuing uh, with our little grandfather clock in the background. It's time. It's time, it's time. for episode. Yeah, she keeps us. People who have come to our number nights and they hear the clock, they're like, it's like, you know, triggers. Yeah. <laughs> they're not sure what it is yet, and then they're like, oh, oh it's the podcast. Uh, now I remember. I remember before I heard that. <laughs> it's funny. Um, okay, so we're starting on... Lee and I are starting on chapter one now, so we're moving mm. into to actual the types now of of Naranjo's Enneatype structures. Yeah. And so we're starting with one. Chapter one is type one. Mm-hmm. Angry virtue is the name of the chapter. Chapter. What did you just pick up at the library and say a minute, uh, second ago? I picked up. <laughs> so on my way over here, I picked up just a stack of books, and I picked up this Martha. Beck book, The Way of Integrity, Finding Your Path to True Self. I have no idea when I put it in my library for you. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, what is this book that I'm picking up? And I opened um, opened up to a chapter that's titled, When Righteousness Goes Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I've not had a chance to read it, but yeah. you know. I think that's I think it's super. Kind of funny. I think it's hilarious. I'll maybe give a report. We'll see if it's, see if it stays on the top of my stack by the bed of the by my bed, right. bedside table, but there so, it is, that might be enough, that might be what I needed from it. Yeah, so um, on um, that first page, we are in the presence of a well-behaved, civilized type, not a spontaneous one. Um, much of this personality may be understood as a reaction formation against anger. A denial of destructiveness through a deliberate, well-intentioned attitude. So, um, I mean, he talks a lot in this chapter about how ones have justified their anger because they're they are striving towards something good. They're they're striving towards justice, towards correctness, towards good behavior, towards, you know, whatever, whatever Mm -hmm. the one is, what each one is different. But so I think in what he's saying is that they're, you know, that it's hard, it's hard for them to see it because it's well-intentioned. They get to do it or they don't even see it. But I mean, to me, well-intentioned anger is like, Somebody saying, "Well, they're doing the best they can," or something. Well, and I even wonder like, if whatever the anger, are they? It's not well-intentioned <laughs> anger. It's like the anger comes from them being so well-intentioned about being good. Ah, oh, yes, I think that's so good. To some Lee. degree, totally. Like, I think not, you're right. I yeah. Yes, but there is this, this deliberateness about how they are living life, and underneath it, it just it can't help but make them angry. Right. You know, it's too so, much work. Which I think he, he does he such a good into. job about talking about. Yeah, get into about that. that. Um, and I love on this page, yes. standing against, uh, Echazo's definition of, of them standing against reality. Mm-hmm. And is it, we've talked about this in the past, but you as a four and sevens and ones do that, correct? Yeah. So I, you all... I, I yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because yeah. um, two things came to mind when I read that, that Echazo's definition of anger is standing against reality. Um, first thing I thought of, I guess, was that the aggressive stance, we always talk about the ag- aggressive stance is trying to re 
shape reality, mm-hmm. right? To, yeah. How do you say it? You, you always think, say that so well. I think that's how Suzanne talks about it, okay. is that, that they want to reshape reality to their own reality. They just can reframe. Yeah. yeah reframe. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I was like, okay, so ones have this anger that's about reshaping reality. Mm-hmm. The aggressive stance is about reshaping reality. And then the idealism or the harmony triad of that you're you were talking mm-hmm. about, the one four seven harmony triad of idealism is all about um, kind of reshaping reality mm-hmm. or like having having trying to live up to their idea, the ideal world in their mind, which I you know it's just another way of talking about reshaping reality. So, but I mean, I guess you could say we are all trying to reshape reality, right? Yeah, I think this is like one of those things where we can we could do a podcast on reshaping reality on how we each reshape reality, right? Let's write Um, that down. I think we should. Just different language. Mm -hmm. And do you do you like that? Partly when I I don't think I think what's hard about a one is that they don't know that they are standing against reality. Um, Because they think the goodness or what they believe to be to be reality Mm -hmm. is 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 It's justified. Is it. And so I mean I guess that's just true for us all, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think we should do a podcast on that. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I really liked also on page twenty-two where he talked about intentional goodness. I was, mm. I was just trying to pull out all of these different word choices. Lots of good word choices. Such good words. Um, That's why we're doing it. And he, he, and when we interviewed Penny, for instance, she said, "I prefer." word I think she said good or Mm. correct versus Mm -hmm. perfectionism Mm -hmm. and they're all kind of derivatives of this intentional um intentional space and I also liked in that same paragraph how he talked about um where are you at the top of the page 22 okay um how he says you know when we say angry anger type it's not evocative of this um kind of hateful or meanness it's more that it's uh, critical and demanding which leads to the resentment um and i yeah so i really like the intentional goodness intentional goodness mm -hmm. yeah that's good and it that seems very appropriate yeah they feel appropriate and i think you hear that from ones like it's just obvious and it's appropriate right and i think appropriate is a good word yeah right so, um, so Master, getting masters of virtue is one more word on there that I really like. Masters of virtue. Masters of virtue. That's awesome. Yeah, that's at the bottom of that's, page twenty-two. That's that's. I feel like that could be put on a shirt. Yeah. That's a positive. <laughs> to me, that's a right. positive thing. You have to kind of pull out the positives because Naranjo is so bleak. Um, I mean, he's deep in the shadow, so it's kind of. Yeah. Um, Okay, so middle of page 23, the anger part, he's getting into trait, as he calls it, trait structure. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, most commonly felt 
in connection, anger is, is most commonly felt in connection with a sense of injustice in face of the responsibilities and efforts the individual undertakes in larger measures than others. Yeah. It is inseparable from the criticism, criticism of others for displaying less zeal, and sometimes it involves the adoption of a martyr role. The most visible expression of anger occurs when it is perceived as justified and can in such cases take the form of vehement, righteous indignation. One more paragraph. In addition, anger is present in the form of irritation, reproach, and hatefulness that remains largely unexpressed since perceived destructiveness conflicts with the virtuous self-image. The master virtue. Right. Um, So... I, I, so basically, their righteousness feels valid, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of their anger comes from the fact that they're just working so much harder than the rest of us, possibly. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, do you feel that every Enneagram number feels that they're working so much harder than the rest of us? I do not. You don't feel? Okay, because you're a nine? Yeah. Okay. That. I do not feel that way. That's so interesting because I've been thinking lately that that for me like where I get bent out of shape where I typically get mad at other people is in a space where I'm working where I perceive that I am working extra hard and it's really hard for me to do all this that I'm over here doing mm-hmm. and when I watch not you but someone you me it, well I mean I just mean when I, I want to say when I watch yeah. you uh, metaphorically, when I watch someone come in, kind of breeze in at the, and not, and like doing the opposite of that thing that I'm working so hard to do, it, it, that's like, that's a, where a lot of my anger is. And sometimes I've noticed that a lot of that is around subtypes actually, like instinctual variants, mm-hmm. right? So, um, but also a lot of it's around our passion, I think. But Anyway, so you're saying is a not so do you don't ever feel like let me ask you this, you don't ever feel that you're working really hard to make things peaceful and calm and good and chill and not conflictual and then when someone just kind of has a willy nilly attitude about conflict or um you know uh, stuff like that, you're just I mean, like I think man I'm more irritated so I would not couch it in the term I get irritated that others aren't working as hard. Yeah. Okay. That's not how I... Okay. I will get irritated when people take up spaces that don't consider others. Like, mm-hmm. um, I have a real kind of push against uh, people who are rude or, I mean, stereotypically, like someone who doesn't put their grocery cart back at the right. grocery store or... Um, someone who drives mean or so those sorts of things but it's never about it's just not about work it's Mm -hmm. it's about not seeing other people or well do you um, think it's about space occupation sound you keep using the word space and I'm I'm just nines have trouble taking that space yeah nine piece right like I I don't do that so right. Doing. Yeah. And I'm, I'm relinquishing all that space. Right. How dare you take it all up so casually? And I'm looking, casually. I think, partly for my <laughs> instinctual very 
I'm looking to make sure other people are okay. Yeah. Feel safe and comfortable. And yes. I'm obsessed with that. On yeah. Some level, right. Yeah. I'm, myself I'm, and with others. And really so, feeling that a lot. Like I feel yeah. like it's stronger. Yeah. Maybe I just didn't notice it before, but I just am always. I'm always you're always doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so. I, but it's, it's not about work. It's, it's not helpful. about. It's, it's not about do you deserve it. It's more about. Everybody should pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. So so back to the one. They they feel that they are putting toward all these efforts. And when we had our number night, everyone was laughing over that because they do feel like they're just mm-hmm. working so hard towards correctness and that nobody else is putting in that work. Um so on the next page, twenty-five, um he gets into uh, what I was, I'm calling the branches of the tree of anger. He's kind of looking with, with each thing, with two things really, anger and perfectionism. And perfection. He's giving each tree three branches. So yeah, it's anger, like anger and then ha- these. Yeah, yeah, I guess anger, like his, per- yeah, it branches off. So he's mm-hmm. structuring it in these way, mm-hmm. ways of three, which I think is so funny how Enneagram is just this three groupings all the time. All the time. All the time. So the first branch on the tree of anger is criticality. Um, he also calls it a derivative of anger. Mm-hmm. So I like the word derivative. derivative. Mm-hmm. I, I was saying branch. I don't know why. I'm obsessed with trees right now. Um, so uh, he describes that as explicit fault finding, but sometimes creates. The, oh, I love this. Sometimes <laughs> creates a subtle atmosphere that causes others to feel awkward or guilty (laughs) (laughs) i just think that's such a um subtle and generous way to talk about someone being critical Uh um i mean who has ever put so many lovely words together on what it feels to be criticized you know a subtle atmosphere that causes others to feel awkward or guilty well, and he t- the words that I kind of picked out in this description is intellectual. It feels very intellectual mm. and const- constructive. It has a constructive intent on mm-hmm. the part of the of the type one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says criticality may be described as intellectual anger, more or less unconscious of its motive. Right. So it's a way of getting at that pushing back against reality. Mm-hmm. And you know, basically saying I want, but it's transformed into you should do this. The most salient quality of this criticality is a sense of constructive intent, a desire to make others or oneself better. Mm-hmm. Through intellectual criticism, thus, anger is not only expressed, but it's justified and rationalized, and through this, denied. Which yeah. is so tricky. Like every one of these, he does that. Like yes. how how anger is actually denied through the the suit of anger or the suit of this derivative. So That's here, criticality. Yeah. You know? Moral reproaches are another form of perfectionistic disapproval, and not just expressions of anger. <laughs> I want is transformed into you should. Yeah, and I think I, I, that's what I, why I wanted you. Well, I mean, I love just reading it because mm-hmm. all those words we miss out on. But I want is transformed into you should. And that is really interesting. It's so I, tricky for ones we hear again and again and again. 
I think it's helpful if you live with a one or if you're friends with a one to know that that's what it's about, though. So when you're getting the shoulds from a one, mm -hmm. know that it's really about their desire. And when we had the number nine and the ones were talking about their desires and how really, truly kind of vulnerable and yeah. soft and tender it feels to even have them in the first place and to say them out loud, which... They're, I think, scared to... Well, here's, I think, the tricky part that mm -hmm. he gets to again and again, which is hard for me to talk about as I'm not a one. Mm -hmm. But how he, let's see, um, through intellectual criticism, thus anger is not only expressed but justified and rationalized, and then it's also denied. So that there is this, I think, one's... So they're just like, I'm not angry. Don't know how to express, or, I, but I, I think they don't know how to express their needs outside of their um, uh, need for reality to be the way they want it to right, be. Right, right. Which kind of gets, which is tricky because yeah. it misses, it, it kind of puts them in that circle yeah. of shoulds, of intentional goodness, of right. you know, all of those layers of you should do this or this is the way it should be done. Yeah. That that's the only way they know the world should be. Yeah. But they're missing out on the messiness of what reality already is. So that's... I don't know if I'm making any sense. Yeah, no, it's you, like they can't... No, you are. Like the shoulds are very vulnerable and they're a construct of their personality, too. What, you know, what do you like mean by that? Their construct like of their personality? Like it's that... Um, the, 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 the denial of... And he gets into it more later with the perfectionism... But it's their their way of being. Like mm -hmm. they can't just take reality how it is. And so what they're asking they for, the should, mm -hmm. is kind of plays into their personality, which all of us do that. Right. Like my should is about harmony and peace. It's just a but what they're asking <laughs> for is is part of their master of virtue plan mm -hmm. or what they think should should be right because all of that so all of that that master plan it, it's a good plan it feels good to them it feels beautiful it feels correct and, and it's such a trap and it's such a trap and I think I mean that's why I love having these number nights and getting the the, the numbers to talk about mm -hmm. it because to me it seems like every number once you start dialing back all this stuff you just see this uh, it's like hamster wheel yeah, but like also this just like super, super tender, tender mm -hmm. stuff yeah. under all of our things that don't seem at all tender. And when you're, when, when the shoulds are moving out, I think yeah. like the one's work would be to say what's under that. What's what under the of, should? I want connection or I want to be seen or I want to, which I think we hear. Yeah. You know, like the. It's uh, so hard for me to directive yeah. that they're giving the person that they love. Yes, is not. It's hard to unwind that from what's underneath it. Yeah. So the directive the of the person they live with, which like say, I want you to slice the tomatoes like this. Right. Right. Um, I think it feels vulnerable to ask that. Yeah. And, no, I and, think so. And and I think. It feels so vulnerable that the perception of it being 
uh, complied with becomes this direct math equation of love. Yeah. When it, when it just isn't. No. But it feels that way yeah. to them. Yeah. And yeah. And I think we all have those, probably those weird equations. Oh, God, yes. oh. <laughs> so I think when you can like dial it back and go, I, this is not really about slicing tomatoes. And it's not really even that important. I mean, maybe it is important. It might be important. Yeah. But, but it's not really about that. It's really about having, being um, vulnerable in a relationship enough to say, I really need this and I'm going to ask for it. And then I'm just going to. Um, hang my value on whether that's heard and and dealt with, yeah, complied with, or Which whatever is, the word is. That uh, you know. So, I don't know. I don't know, man. Yeah. I think conversations around that kind of stuff, uh, if you know what you're up to, can yeah. help. Yeah. But um. So page twenty six, demandingness is another another derivative or branch of the anger tree demandingness um the most disciplinarian uh type both in the sense of inhibiting spontaneity mm-hmm. and the pursuit of pleasure in others <laughs> i love not just the pursuit of pleasure but the pursuit of pleasure in others yes as well as exacting hard work and excellent performance, they tend to sermonize, preach, and teach without regard for the appropriateness of such a role. So I think that just gets at more like exactly what is going on. Um, uh, the inhibiting of spontaneity and the pursuit of pleasure in themselves and in other people, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's, well, yeah. I wrote the word... Oh, he, he, the next paragraph, hmm. manicured, I thought was a really good word. I hadn't thought of that in yes. relationship to one, but he compared it to like a manicured garden. Mm-hmm. They, this is, I think, kind of when we say one sometimes had a particular look or um, that they are in control and they have a way it should look and mm-hmm. the way you should behave and the way they should behave. Yeah. And it's very um, contained and manicured. Yeah. It's like an English garden. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Japanese. Or Japanese. I don't know. I don't know English gardens, but very... Very manicured. Yeah, very Mm -hmm. formal. Obsessive manicured. Yeah. And I think it's whatever they just have decided they want to manicure. Yeah. Could be anything. Could be anything. Yeah. Dominance. Autocratic style, a self-confident and dignified assertiveness, mm-hmm. an aristocratic self-concept, and a superior, haughty, disdainful, and perhaps condescending and patronizing demeanor. So that's a lot of adjectives uh-huh. thrown in there. Um, I think one that seemed uh, like it landed with a lot of ones was the aristocratic self-concept. Um so I, I just think that's here. funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote in my, um, here, maybe this is more in the sexual subtype. Because mm-hmm. I think the words like authority and entitlement feel like it felt very eight to read this. To read that description. Mm-hmm. Which oftentimes... The sexual one is the counter type and is 
they often identify as AIDS, like this is the right way to do it, but in a more aggressive way, because mm-hmm. AIDS feel that way too. Mm-hmm. And so I wondered, like with the authority, entitlement, high standards, we're going to do it, um, but that but um, feel kind of aggressive. This is or, yeah, but I, this derivative of anger. Yeah, you know? but I think that um, what eights don't have in all of this forcefulness. So this, these are descriptions of yeah. kind of aggression and forcefulness. Is this kind of flavor of quote dignified, aristocratic, right. condescending? Uh, I, I don't think eights necessarily have that kind of. Um, hierarchical concept or even just um I just don't think they're coming at it from over under um I don't I don't think so in fact I'd say most eights are you know kind of I think they think they're right I think they think they're right but, but I don't think they think they're a, master of virtue space right not not in um this like um superior haughty um disdainful condescending right. patronizing those are those are different words I think than what I would say about an eight mm-hmm. um they're tough words too um well and I don't know I wasn't necessarily thinking just eight I was thinking yeah. of the sexual that energy that you read about in the sexual mm-hmm. of a it's forceful mm-hmm. it feels strong um well I guess too the word dominance in general mm-hmm. is probably a good word for eight as well as yeah. one perfectionism it may be said, this is on page 27, it may be said that the perfectionist is more obedient to the abstract authority of norms or office than the concrete authority of persons. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was really interesting. Um, they're, they're not, they have ideas about what is right or good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they are um, rule followers per se you know like they're not necessarily um gonna look to you know the president or the policeman or whatever as or the headmaster of the school as um somebody that they're gonna unless they they've decided that person's correct and good and part of their thing but um well i think When he moves into the rest of that paragraph, mm-hmm. such vehement um, interest in principles, morals, and ideals is not only an expression of submission to the demands of a strong superego. So he turns it in perfectionism. He moves more inside themselves. Mm. Like the anger was kind of out there and being pissed at everybody else. And I feel like the derivatives of perf- perfectionism, he moves interior mm-hmm. a little more. Um, so, but then he. So it's not, it's more about their ego, um, submission to the demands of a strong superego, but interpersonally, an instrument of manipulation and dominance for these enthusiastically endorsed norms are imposed on others and, he says as I commented above, serve as a cover for personal (laughs) wishes and demands. I mean, I have that starred. Yes. So I think that's... It goes back to the you should, I guess, a little bit. it's um, it's their personal idea of of what needs to be followed or what rules need to be followed. That's I think right. the subjective part, but they hang their hat on something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
something authoritative that they've decided, I guess, is authoritative. That, that, that represents that mm-hmm. authority of that. Um, so again, I think like, you know, we have these concepts in each number that are pretty subjective and that's the, where the work is for each person who's um, doing this work is to find out what it is. So like perfectionism for a one may not be the dishwasher. It may not be the how you make the bed. Um, it may not be you know, how you keep your desk or whatever. I don't know. But so I think like where, and those are just kind of dumb examples. I'm, I'm trying to think of something more philosophical. Well, I think like, like in this case, it how could you, be like that whole masters of virtue mm-hmm. piece that's this deep spiritual mm-hmm. um, right way of living. Yeah. Um, like humility and mm-hmm. um, whatever. Yes. They, this well-intentioned goodness, mm-hmm. virtue, that it, it doesn't have to be an outward perfection. Right. But, it's, but they want you to also comply yes. with it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, okay, so I kind of wanted to get into this last paragraph on 27 with you as a nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so the emphatic endorsement of norms and sanctioned authority usually implies a conservative orientation. Um, conservative meaning being tradition-directed, a trait shared with type nine, tradition-directed. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. It's hard to separate, except conceptually, two aspects of perfectionism. Um, but uh, So both kinds of good intention, so he's talking about nines and ones, both mm-hmm. kinds of good intention support a sense of personal goodness, kindness, and disinterest- disinterestedness, and distract the individual from the pre-conscious perception of self as angry, evil, and selfish. <laughs> so um, I think what I, I guess I find interesting mm-hmm. is that nines and ones share this kind of intention towards goodness that is a cover for their anger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's similar to what I was saying earlier yeah. when you said you get annoyed when people aren't working as hard as you. Yeah. Right. Like good, not black and white kind of good. Right. But good, like, why, why can't we just do things that recognize the other person? Or, mm-hmm. um, and then probably next, mixed up in that for me is I don't, I don't get to take up space. I don't, I don't put myself in these, um, I don't make a mess. I don't, right. you know, I'm self contained. Mm-hmm. So why can't you be self contained? Right, right. So I do, I I do think it's a way of like that you're really working hard, and it feels it causes resentment Mm -hmm. when other people just blast through. Yeah, sure. Um, It's the whole passive. But anyway, I like when Naranjo group. He, I feel like the way he groups numbers traits together sometimes surprises me. Yeah, you know, like I, I don't know if I would have thought about nine and one both doing that in that way. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, I had talks with my nine, or with my one friends about that, like Mm -hmm. about those sorts of when I do get angry. Um, And I guess I just don't put the right or wrong. 
language on it. It, it is more kind of a bodily, like, what are, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Why are, why would you, why would you not think of someone else first? Kind of yeah. space when, yeah. is when I get, yeah, mad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um. Okay, we may conceive of a group of traits. This is on page twenty-eight. Um, ranging from orderliness and cleanliness to a puritanical disposition as a means to evoke affection through merit and a response to an early emotional frustration. So, um, Where is that that's the top of 28, the beginning of the paragraph, not only. is it, oh, okay. and, and, you know, I, I think that's, he, he was, he's a psychologist and he saw lots of clients and he's forming these thought these he's forming these things from a lot of client analysis so i think it's interesting that he sort of um i mean this kind of reminds me of three stuff in a way that they're they feel they're going to be loved and they're going to be considered good because of their merit and what they've deserved and earned and worked for and that that comes probably from a really early wound. Um, well, and I, I, we've talked about the voice, like that mm-hmm. ones have a voice, and I think that's a really good description, that, that first sentence, that compulsive virtue as a derivative anger um, through the operation of reaction formation is also the expression of anger turned inwards, mm-hmm. which is that compulsive critic, right? Compulsive mm-hmm. yeah. affection. And it amounts to becoming one's own harsh critic, policeman, and disciplinarian. So I think you could, there's the, there's the voice. Yeah. Compulsive virtue. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's hard. Um, he calls them a crusader in the next paragraph. Um, serves as a paradigm for this. Um, obsessive preoccupation with right and wrong or good and bad entails an unconscious dishonesty in its intent. What do you think he means by that? An unconscious dishonesty in its intent. I think it goes back to the first sentence of the second full paragraph. He says, perfection serves anger by preventing its acknowledgement. Oh, right, right. And more specifically, it serves the unconscious expression of anger as dominance, criticality, and demandingness. Like, this is that tricky um, catch-22 for them, that perfectionists, and intentional goodness and virtue and all of these good outward displays of humility or goodness um, can mask anger, but they really end up stoking it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But it's, yeah. Um, but it actually, in, in the end, it doesn't allow anger, but it serves it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The perfection piece. Like, did you just read all of these? That, Love of order, law abidingness, and order, orientation to rules, to good, do good, do goodism, <laughs> dutiful nurturance. That's that's really good. And dutiful nurturance. Um, I, there's just lots of good, I think, language for ones in this to kind of yeah, such as observe uh, themselves. Um, such as make people adopt fathering or mothering roles towards each other. I think that's funny. Yeah. Dutiful nurturance as a as like parental jamming on that. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Um, At least how I um I think that would make things very peaceful if we just nurture each other down. 
it. Dutifully. Dutifully. Um, okay. Uh, over control. Um, and, and so the branches of perfectionism, as, as Naranjo has them organized, is over control, self criticism, and discipline. Um, over control, he describes as an excessive control over one's behavior that goes hand in hand with a characteristic rigidity a sense of awkwardness, a lack of spontaneity with the consequent difficulty to function in non-structured situations, and whenever improvisation is required. Mm -hmm. To others, the over-control may result in boringness. Ouch. That's harsh, says the four. Excessive control over oneself extends beyond outer behavior to psychological functioning in general. So that thinking becomes excessively rule-bound, logical and methodical, with loss of creativity and leaps of intuition. Control over feeling, on the other hand, leads not only to the blocking of emotional expression, but even to the alienation from emotional experience. So to me, that is very important this part of this. This yeah. over-control section. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Um, It's just really kind of uh, the cage you're in, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and in being, in in trying to maintain this control over yourself and others, losing so many um, qualities that you actually value and that expand um, who you are in the world. Um, And, you know, anyway, I just think that's, I wish I had an equally Mm -hmm. beautiful, positive paragraph to read after reading that. Um, but I don't. I mean, he doesn't. No. Um. I did. <laughs> this is, I hope this does not sound right. But I wrote improv courses, good for one. Ah, cool. yeah. Well. You know, just something that makes them, I would think, how do they build that muscle of that's awkward? A, that's a good like question. How, how do they let loose? Yeah. When... I was, um, I, you know, I've been um, thinking a lot about perfectionism and because I was listening to kind of Brene Brown has a, I wish I had it right now. She has this great definition of perfectionism and how it gets in our way and, um, and how it is something else. And now I just don't remember what it was. But one of the things that I heard her say was that we just get, we're so impatient and really some of it is this like not being willing to be in that awkwardness like to be in process to be in process yeah. and to not already be um perfect and 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 I recognize that in myself because when I'm I've been collaborating with other people for my work lately with like welders and electrical people and projection people. And what I hear over and over and over again is how impatient I am. <laughs> and, and I feel, so I've been paying attention to myself and how impatient I am with myself. And I think so much of it is, is that it feels scary and irritating to be in the process where you don't know what you're doing mm-hmm. and you don't know how to do it. And you're trying so hard in it, you're failing and it hurts your body physically or like it just is messing up or you're 
you know, just... And you're relying on others. And I'm relying on others. And so I, I do, like, so what I've been trying to do is just say, hey, look at you, uh, just trying to figure it out, you know. <laughs> just just calm down and slow down and figure it out. And tomorrow, maybe, when you know a little bit more about whatever this is, you'll feel kind of satisfied. But in the meantime, you need to calm down and just do it. Just muck through it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I do think that I do think that there's this pursuit towards perfectionism that doesn't allow for process and doesn't allow, and a lot of the irritability comes from that and maybe this lack of creativity that she's talking about. And you it just... All good things come from really mucking around and bumbling around for a long time. Well, and I, Suzanne used to talk about how it's hard to for a one to tell you what good enough is, mm. or when they would get to perfect or yeah. what, and then they move the line. And yeah. I think that kind of comes from this space of being, um, if you're alienated or cut off from your own emotions of because you're trying to protect yourself yeah. with all of this control and self-control and being methodical then you are also cut off from the like goodness of when it arrives or in the moment mm-hmm. when you um, are kind of captured by surprise or joy mm-hmm. or any of those emotions because you are you're not open to them. Yeah. So it's hard it's hard to know when they come. Yeah. 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 Or to even what to, be to open to them. Even to know what to walk towards or mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Suzanne used to always say they they're best on vacation cuz they're not in charge of anything. Mm-hmm. But they might be in charge of the vacation, you know. Sure. I don't know. Um, but some stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. like what what can you not control? Like dancing, you know? Like what can you just not control? And and to have a mantra. I do think mantras more and more I think are so important. Some sort of... Mm-hmm. I know the term manifestation is so used, but like you just kind of manifest in the moment when you're so wigged out about things not mm-hmm. not knowing how it's going to go. Just settle down. Just settle. <laughs> settle down. Let's, well, let's see. We'll see. Whatever yeah. it is. I wonder if I'm just shooting from the hip. So like trying something like dancing or something mm-hmm. that you're not good as as a one and going in prepared, like going in prepared with here's what I know is going to come up with me. I'm not going to know how to do it. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to look in the mirror. The person next to me is going to know what they're doing or dancing is frivolous, like whatever comes up. But if you have just go in prepared to, a, um, to have a, a mantra that reconnects you to what you're up to. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be interesting to just do that in an activity. Yeah. An awkward activity, perhaps. Yeah. 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 It'd be good and to be ask. be prepared with it. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. I'm sure that would look different for everyone. Mm-hmm. But. I wonder what a good mantra would be for a one. You know, it's good enough or. I don't, I think it needs to be. Something more tender than that. Yeah. I would take out the goodness yeah. piece. I would yeah. just take it out. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. Because what are they missing out on? They're missing out on creativity. 
or um, or maybe they maybe something like creativity is good or messy is messy perfect is, messy is perfect <laughs> messy is real messy, messy, messy is, is real, real and real is perfect yeah, real is... um I have a, I have a, a, I'm reading a book right now by um, Jennifer Egan, and it's called um, The Candy House, and it's a, it's a, the second book in a series that started with A Visit from the Goon Squad, so Mm -hmm. it's, and Mm -hmm. so I'm reading it right now, and there's this character name, I think his name is Alfred, and he's a flaming four. I have never met he's a pathological authentic seeker so he he literally will just start screaming in a subway just to get real reactions from people because he's so bored of you know it's crazy i i might like i'm very tempted to like read the chapter on a instagram live that's how much i love it anyway but then the next character his older brother whose name is miles if anyone's reading this book miles is a one and he's the older brother, and he's perfect and good. And he ends up losing everything he has because of his over-control. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty amazing journey. So if I, so I recommend that book to once because it's yeah. a really great character study. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. I don't want to, like, spoil the, the, the uh, plot. Um, the next branch is self-criticism. Um, of perfection. Yes. Um, and he says what criticism of others is to anger, self-criticism is to perfection. Hmm. Yes. Do we want to read that part? Do we want to read that whole thing? Sure. Though self-disparagement may not be apparent on the outside to the observer intends to be hidden behind a virtuous and self-dignified image, Hmm. the inability to accept oneself and the process of self-vilification not only are the source of chronic emotional frustration and unconscious anger, he says, but an ever-present psychodynamic background for the perfectionistic need to try even harder in the pursuit of worthiness. Hmm. Oh, there's a lot there. Just, yeah, just makes me, I don't know. It kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts. When you can just feel how these all collapse in on one another, that the mm-hmm. over-control and then the self-criticism. Mm-hmm. When you don't, because no one can. Mm-hmm. Um... um. And then the last one is discipline, um, which kind of just goes back to that, like, that puritanical disposition Mm -hmm. of kind of, like, not being, not allowing pleasure in yourself and other people, not allowing play. Um, Postponement of natural pleasure and impulse. Yes. Um, So that's, I think that's just kind of, Again, I think you're right. I think they all kind of loop in on each mm-hmm. other and start to feel similar. Um, and then uh, Naranjo ends every chapter with this whole concept of ontic obscuration, which he 
uh, as we said in the last um, podcast in the intro, that's kind of what he, the whole thesis of the book is, is that every number is a map of, of self-loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so the loss of a sense of I amness sustains a craving for being that is manifested in the differentiated form of the ego's nine basic emotions. Mm-hmm. So um, in the case of ones, the proximity of the character to that of psycho-spiritual laziness, the nine, Indeed, the fact of being a hybrid between it, nine, and pride, two, makes the issue of ontic obscuration something that lies near the foreground of their psychological style. That it, This is to say that there is the life attitude of the one, um, a loss of the sense of being, which is as, oh, I'm not making any sense, as is the case of the three characters of the upper region of the Enneagram, so eight, nine, and one manifests as an unconsciousness of unconsciousness that gives them a particular self-satisfaction opposite to felt deficiency or to poverty in spirit of those at the bottom of the Enneagram. So threes, fours, and fives Mm -hmm. as the impoverished spirits. Um, uh, unconscious dissatisfaction, however, is converted into the hottest of the passions, which, however ignored by active unconsciousness, underlies the quality of interpersonal relationships. Um, well, that's to me is that whole yes. Let's talk trick about it. They play that he describes so well. Can you tell me what? You. Yeah, what an unconsciousness of unconsciousness. I think that number one, they're not. No, this is just my. I have no idea if this is what it means, but what I went to with that is our number one. There, there, we're we're not conscious of what we're up to most of the time. And when I was thinking about how he just described all these derivatives of anger and perfection, and how underneath every time, whatever one is up to, like I think this on page twenty-two, the spiritual piece kind of their spiritual wrath the whole masters of virtue that they um, set themselves up to not believe they're angry because they know how things should be done mm-hmm. and they're not even conscious that they're trying to push down their anger by being a master of virtue it's kind of like when he says people who have to say they are virtuous are not really virtuous <laughs> Right, you know, like right. Very, I love uh, that. Yeah. It's, it's really nuanced, but that they're not even conscious. They're not even conscious of that. And I, that's, you know, you and know, that doesn't make it not, right. virtue is not virtue, mm. but they're in service to, they're in service to something more. Yeah. Right? This, their, this whole ontic obscuration, which we're all up to. Totally. And but theirs is, seems so good. And I'm sure, I don't know if he'll describe each of us this way as unconscious, unconscious, but I would guess so. Eight, eight nine, and one. Yeah. yeah. Um, he says virtue by not being virtuous is virtue. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. I'm just thinking as I hear you talk that, I think 
you know, that the trap for every number is that what you're most, and we've talked about this in our podcast, that what you're most longing for, you're kind of just absolutely just making sure you don't have it. Like you're just doing all these things to not, like a one wants to be virtuous in the best way, right? But they're doing all these things about like prideful virtue or what, what, what is the word he keeps? Master of virtue. Like, yeah, just, you're right. Like, that term is excellent because it encapsulates the problem as it is. Master, master of, virtue. of virtue. You can't be. Right. To be virtuous is to be humble and to be... And to, to be to, in reality in some To way. be in reality and to, um, what do you call it when you just let go of everything? When you just relinquish everything. You surrender yeah. yourself to reality and your and who you are and virtue comes out of that so I think like we all just the ways we go about what we're wanting keeps us from having what we're wanting oh. yuck and very unfortunately double blind to that in a way I think that you think ones are unconscious yeah it feels so right yeah I mean it feels like it that should work yeah um yeah and it ends up being a worship, he used the words, worship of goodness and worthiness. Which is kind of settling, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not really what they're after. They're not really trying to worship goodness. And they, I like this too, on page 33, he says that they've decided um, a person of character, quote unquote, is one endowed with a certain overstability, a certain strength to resist temptations, and to stand by what is right. Mm. Which ends up, you know. Yeah. yeah. They've decided that's, those are the virtues. Right. Right. Well, that's all, that's all I have underlined. Do you think the story at the end is mm. worth telling? Did you read that? Sure. I'm just sure. Yeah. I don't yeah. know how to say this. Nazardine, yeah. Nazardine. It's like, oh, I don't know how to say it either. Oh, okay. But, um, but he's I just do not talking know. about a grammar, grammarian, and there's a, <laughs> there's a boat captain, you know. Oh, yeah. Read, read it. Shuttling this person. Any type one may be recognized in the grammarian who, as, as the boatman, or the boatman, carries to the other shore. Um, he answers some questions from the grammarian uh, with incorrect speech, and the grammarian basically says, well, how do you study grammar? And in Nasruddin's answering to the effect that it was not the case, he did not study grammar, he proffers out of a righteous and well-informed self-satisfaction. The grammarian says, you've lost half your life because you haven't studied grammar. But later, the boat captain asks the grammarian, do you know how to swim? And since our worthy grammarian responds that this is not the case, the boat captain says, well, then you've lost your whole life because we're sinking. (laughs) And so he goes on to say the grammarian mentality and life, um, that process of rigidification, Mm. of um, giving excessive meaning to that overstability, strength to resist temptation, certitude in what's right by applying so much um, 
certitude around that, you miss out on the rest. You miss out on love. The love. And you miss out on being yourself. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I hope this is helpful to people. I had a couple of friends call me and say they were getting the book so that they could follow along, which I thought was <laughs> cute. I'm all into it's, it. Just so you know, it will take you a good while to read 10 pages. Man. Yeah. I mean, just take it slow. Yeah. It I mean, slow. that is what I do like about this book is mm-hmm. that it does each type, each page, each type is like 10 pages or not even sometimes. Right. Um, and so you can just sit down and read it, but it is a lot. It's very toothsome. It's like I don't think a, I've ever sat very down and dense. read just like one enneotype in a sitting. Like I yeah, can't. I think I have. <laughs> I get overwhelmed. It. I have done it, but it is. It's a lot. You have to. You have to really chew on it. Yeah. Um, which is why I wanted to do this because I hope it allows for chewing, and and comprehension um, rather than just being alone and. Doing it by yourself, where you kind of. Well, I, don't I think know. even from I'm just thinking from my own growth and self, and thinking about how you fold the numbers in on each other in different ways. Mm-hmm. I I think it would be good for me to think of. I mean, I think of myself as boundaryed, and this <laughs> you're like, of course, yeah, no shit, <laughs> and I am boundaryed. But you know, I think using some of the mm-hmm. ones language for how I am going about that and trying some of it on um, mm-hmm. but I'm it would be interesting for me to try on a correctness or rightness in relationship to this idea of harmony mm. and how that prevents me from in the same in the same ways I think as a, a one in it's super interesting because I don't think be, we would normally think no, that way at all. I wouldn't think that way, but I, I wouldn't either. But I, I think it's interesting for yeah. you to just play with that totally. language and see if it opens some kind of other insight but, into what I'm up to. Because maybe in a way, that's a way of looking around in the dark. Mm-hmm. That we grabbed onto the one personality or the one type <laughs> that we think will get us what we want. And so I do think it is not that I'm a one, you know, I am a nine. But to try on a little bit of that language and see where it kind of makes a crack in um, what I'm up to, mm-hmm. you know, um, how I'm avoiding my I amness. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I would just would never have thought of it in that way. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, next up is two. Which would be easy peasy. <laughs> They're all hard. They're all hard. So hard. They're all hard. Okay. All right, thanks. Find some peace of mind in this lifetime. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them the truth. I hope you find some paradise. Tell them. Tell them the truth. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them. Tell them you're. I've been going through something. 1,855 days. I've been going through something.